Hello and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your Biz and Mindset Coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. Hey, Spiralers, it's me, Sam, and I'm here today with Gina on the Spiraling Higher podcast. And today we are so excited to be bringing a guest that is now a very close friend of mine into the studio. We actually met this past month at the Harvard Creator Summit of Mental Health, and he was the person who I actually saw on the list and was super intimidated by because I was a super fan of his content for almost the past two years, I was nervous to meet him and create a connection. But when I met him, I was so incredibly floored by his groundedness, his authenticity, his heart. And so we are so excited to talk to him about his journey into life, relationships, content creation, and all of the things. So welcome to the Spiraling Higher Studio, Bryce. Oh my goodness, that was crazy. That was an amazing intro. Well, you're an amazing person. And um, I'm serious. When I met you, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to be in the same room as Bryce because, you know, me and your additional 230 some thousand followers are coming to your content often when we're feeling lost, alone, like we need a little bit of a pep talk, when we need a dose of self-love, when we need a reality check. And so I'm curious if you can begin to tell us a little bit about how you started on this journey. You're someone now that we trust to give us sound advice. So what experiences have brought you to this place of peace, clarity, and self-love? Yeah. So honestly, when I first started making content, it was a complete accident. I posted one video. I was just getting out of a, a relationship and I posted one video. It was kind of like a rant. And I was basically saying, it's attractive if you're working on yourself. Basically like a gist of that. And like, if you're working on yourself, if you're not like unaware of what's going on and you're not projecting and everything, it was like a long rant and people just loved it. And they started asking me questions about it after that. And I started making more content based off of questions and it just evolved into, I think I've been doing it for like two years or something like that. And amazing. Literally everything. I feel like a lot of creators do this too, but like whenever you're going through something in your life, you kind of just like share what you're learning either at the time, what you're just learning or something that you're in the process of learning. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I feel like over the course of the years, like I've done, I started off with like breakup content because I was just going out of getting out of a relationship and then like self-worth when I started getting my confidence back. And then I started doing more like what I've been learning about relationships and self-love and like all these different things. So um been able to meet amazing creators like like you and like everybody else at Harvard and able to be on this amazing podcast. So thank you for having me. Yeah. I feel like the best content is the most honest content. Mm. And mm. I think the more honest we can be, the naturally the, the more relatable it's going to be. Mm. And I think so many of us are honestly just conditioned and programmed to sugarcoat and filter what we, we're going through because we feel like there's an expectation that we should have already had figured it out. That's mm. why we just love creators like you who are so truthful about what that experience is actually like because then we actually can get help from you because you're actually meeting us where we're at too. Yeah, exactly. So, Yeah. I know um, there was a thing that I heard and it was saying about vulnerability is basically the way how you connect with people. And yeah. I truly believe that's probably the easiest way to just connect with people on a deeper level and just sharing your stories that validates other people. So I think that's, that's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so interesting to me that vulnerability is initially and for most people perceived as a weakness. Like that's a thing that they don't want to show. That's not a that's not a thing that they really want to activate, but it's actually the only thing that makes us feel close to people. And it's so strange how how double-sided that is. But um mm. something that I wanted you to dive deeper into was actually how you began to recognize really how low maybe your self-worth was, because something that surprised me when I met you was 
how confident you actually come across. And mm. I'll never forget that you were actually hosting a panel where, remember, you had this like script that you had literally memorized perfectly. And guys, it was a long script. It was like a whole hour production <laughs> and screencast. Wow. And he had this whole thing memorized. And then I was so shocked later to learn, Bryce, that you actually used to have selective mutism. You had trouble actually speaking in front of people. And, you know, between your relationships and just life experiences, like how did you begin to actually develop the confidence that you have now? Uh, yeah. Like you said, when I was younger, I had really, really bad social anxiety. And mm -hmm. um, it was to the point where my trigger was school. So like anything that had to do with it when it was like classmates, teachers, anybody talking to me, I physically couldn't talk because I had so much anxiety. And it was like, I would get up at seven o'clock in the morning and uh, catch the bus. It would start then, wouldn't talk. And then I'd go through the entire day, get out of class. I think like three o'clock, I'd play sports. So I'd also um, probably until like six o'clock PM, I wouldn't say anything all day. And my classmates, teachers, and like my coaches didn't know what my voice sounded like. So like they would call on me sometimes. Nobody knew I had anxiety. It wasn't really like a big thing at the time where people were just kind of like aware of these things. And I honestly mm. didn't even know about it. I was just like, maybe I'm just shy. And mm. I feel like over the years, I started feeling like I kind of just wanted to get out of this feeling of being trapped. So I remember finding different YouTube videos on stoicism. That was where I started. And it was basically um, talking about like where your energy, pretty much like you can't control anything but yourself and how you perceive things and like anything that has to do with yourself. You can't control the people and mm -hmm. um, started from there and then started getting into like law of attraction and then psychology. And it just branched into pretty much everything that I know now. But I think just the experiences that I've had, I think relationships have been a big part of me breaking out of my shell and like just close mm -hmm. relationships is a, is a huge thing um, mm -hmm. where you start feeling comfortable with other people and um, it just breaks out into more and more people. Yeah. I was just going to ask, at what point did you start speaking more? Like, was that through a relationship that you had, someone that you did feel safe with? Like, when did that start to shift? Um, it wasn't necessarily a specific point. It was more mm. just gradually over time, it got easier. Mm. And so like 10 years ago, eight years ago, I wouldn't be able to be on this podcast. I wouldn't be able to go out in public and just have a conversation. And it started off with me just, I'd said little challenges for myself. And like, even if I didn't get it, so like my challenge would be say hi to somebody. And if I did, I would be like, oh, that's cool. Maybe I could say hi to somebody tomorrow. And then like, it just evolved into start a conversation with somebody and then it transformed into ask for them to hang out. And it just over time, over the course of like eight years, I've just slowly been chipping away at it. Yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest thing is just mm -hmm. connection, just find a connection. And also a big thing is learning not to be so critical on yourself. Mm. So that everybody's, yeah. everybody's super critical on themselves. So I love uh, the transparency of actually how long this journey took because something that we see our clients and simply just listeners struggling with is they think that once they identify a pattern or a perceived problem within themselves that it should basically change right away. It's like, why am I like this? Like, why can't I just do the thing? And, you know, even Gina and I, we have our own frustrations and limitations when it comes to creating content and what sort of thoughts and patterns come up within us. But, um, it does take a really long time to change a pattern. And so I'm just grateful that you said it took eight years, right? Mm -hmm. For me to go from not speaking to anyone, not being able to say hi, having so much anxiety that I'm not speaking the entire day to now, I mean, honestly thriving as someone who uses their voice all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that people need to see that because when they feel that there's something wrong with them because they can't share, I think that just keeps them further down the hole. And just digs them deeper, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of curious to know, was there a piece of advice? I know that you did look to stoicism and it's interesting because most of my content is actually rooted in stoicism as well. But I'm kind of curious to know what, what actually was it that shifted you from, I'm this type of person that can't speak to anyone. Maybe you're even identified with your own social anxiety. And how did you begin to challenge that identity? Was it just through the actions? Were there other beliefs, stories, or narratives that were helping you along the way? The way that I see it is like everybody's so complex that there's so many different layers of people. So mm -hmm. while I was also super 
anxious with people that I didn't know in my family, like people that I did know, I was able to just be the most outgoing person ever. Mm. Cause like, I knew that part of me was a thing that I wanted to kind of just like show to the world. And I just didn't know how to get there. I didn't have the confidence to do it. So I always had that feeling underneath. And that was kind of like my drive of, I know I have this part underneath me. I didn't know about like, like a shadow self. I didn't know about the inner child. I didn't know about any of that. So it was just something that over time branching from stoicism. And I remember I read, I think it was called like 365 days of meditation by Mm. Ryan holiday or something like that. And one of the first pages it says, basically it talks about like if you're in the airport and it's delayed because of like weather or something like that for four hours, you either have the option to be mad at the the flight crew or you can go and like make some friends. You can go get lunch. You can explore the airport. It's all about basically the choices that you make. So mm-hmm. what I started doing is just shifting my perspective, not from like always being positive, but more so getting rid of like all the negative and trying to just chip away at that and then trying to build something from there. Mm, I'm actually loving the fact that you identified that, yes, we are complex, but that there was actually a layer or a part of you that already was this outgoing person. Mm -hmm. Because I think that people think that they need to change into a different version of themselves. But it's actually just realizing that you already have this part of you within you. You're more just magnifying and amplifying that. So I'm thinking about even Gina, right? I, I always told people that I wish people could see just how effing funny Gina is. Like, you're one of the funniest people ever. And I think you knew that to be true about yourself. But there's a lot of people, I think, who might have not ever recognized that because you don't show that side all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is going to be really helpful for people to recognize that the parts of yourself that you want to embody more, you already actually have within you, right? Everyone has someone in their life, whether it's one person or two people, that they do feel safe and their confident self with. They maybe feel more themselves in that situation with those people or dynamics. But um, that is something that, like you said, can be expanded. Mm -hmm. Like this was already true for you within your family, but how do we expand that outwards to be with acquaintances, strangers? You're not actually becoming someone else. You're just actually amplifying who you already are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And ultimately finding safety and showing that side of you, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm the same as you, Bryce. Like I always knew I wanted to do these things. I always knew I had the desire to share my voice, but it's like, I just literally didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And I love that you broke it down into these really baby steps. And I think what tends to happen is that we kind of like ridicule ourselves along the way. Like that's all you did today. Like you just said hi or, you know, and I think the more that we can meet ourselves with so much love and so much compassion, because I think so much what we're doing is we're waiting for somebody else to save us. You know, we're waiting for somebody else to say, you have an awesome voice, share it. We're waiting for somebody else to like push us. Like you got to do this. Or we're waiting for somebody to tell us, I mean, I've asked Sam, like, what are my gifts? (laughs) I remember when I asked you that because you want permission to believe that about you. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like the more that you seek it out in other people, the more that you have to keep on finding it. So I know from my journey, it was definitely how how do I see myself? And, and so much of my journey has been me getting to know me, like almost dating myself, getting to know what are my desires? What are my boundaries? What do I think I'm good at? What do I enjoy doing? And having that exploratory kind of conversation like I would with any of my friends, like getting to know them. Um, there was definitely a season where I had to really meet myself and get to know myself because I believe that you can't really be confident in yourself or believe in yourself if you don't if you don't know yourself. And so many of us are only knowing ourselves in a very filtered um yeah, skewed perspective. And so for you, I would love for you to explain what is confidence to you? Because I think a lot of people have construed definition of what confidence is. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would you define that? I would say probably, because you, I, I love how you mentioned the word safety. Um, mm. So I think confidence has to do with safety, but the definition that I would say as of right now is kind of, allowing yourself to feel that safety where you can be your authentic self. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I just feel like that's the best way I would describe it. But um yeah, that yeah. is the think, best way. I yeah. totally agree. Cause I think when you're when you feel safe to be yourself, then you naturally would be then confident 
to be yourself, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I think the reason why it's so scary and vulnerable for any artist or any creator to put their stuff out there is because they don't feel safe, yeah. right? And it's like, and and somebody else making a comment about that would kind of shake the way that you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you feel safe in who you are, whatever anybody says about you really can't shake you because you already have safety and you already know who you are. So yeah. I love that. It's a sense yeah. of basically grounding. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people, that was a great definition because I think people think too that confidence is like, I need to be good at something in order to be confident. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's kind of like confidence is the result of being good at things or something or having a lot of positive opinions about either you or whatever work you're sort of identified with. Mm-hmm. But you don't have, I'm actually thinking a lot right now about people who are very confident, but not quite good at anything. Um, <laughs> but that's actually something we love about them is that it's not the things that they're good at or bad at that are making them confident. It's really just them liking themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's so ironic to me that when we come across someone who likes themselves, they're so naturally magnetic. Mm. And so I, I, when I think about the law of attraction too, it's like when you're trying to get people to like you because you're looking for permission to like yourself, no one really likes you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. it's so backwards. It's like you trying to get people to like you is keeping people from liking you. Yeah. You just totally. have to like yourself. It has yeah. to be, basically it has to be grounded in yourself first. So like a lot of people, they say that they're confident, but they're mostly just like performing for other people. And I don't think that's specifically confidence. Mm. I think it's more if you're doing it. So like the best way I could describe it is with art. Like a lot of people, they make art, especially on social media, they make art for other people and it's very performative. And then you have the yes. people that they make content for themselves. And if they like it, then that's all that matters. And I think that's mm. pretty much the best definition or like example of just like, it has to be rooted in yourself. And if you're trying to, not that validation is bad, but if you're mostly putting it in other people's hands, then I think that's more more so, it's not exactly confidence. Yeah, and I think there's a difference, a very key distinction between seeking validation and receiving validation, right? Because I think when we're looking for it versus just if somebody gives it to you and you can receive it, I think that I had to distinguish for myself because it does feel good to get validation. And I don't think that we can be or should be villainized for receiving, but I think there's a difference when you're like, needing it or attached to it or seeking it all the time. But I would love to kind of move this over into the conversation of like relationships and even being, you know, performative in relationships or, you know, um, how do we be ourselves in relationship to other people? Because I think especially in the context of dating, I mean, I haven't dated in like 20 years, but um, (laughs) I would imagine that when you're dating or even just in high school, when you like, like somebody, it's like you are kind of trying to mold into what you think they're going to like. Yeah. So I would just love for you to kind of riff on on that, just like how people tend to kind of show up and, and what your advice is for somebody who might tend to shape shift into the version of the person that we think they want us to be. And then we kind of have to maintain that throughout the relationship. Mm, Yeah. I know. Um, Usually the, the thing is with like first dates, especially people are always like, oh, I, I, let me dress up. Let me look super nice. I feel like you should just for like a first date. But like the intention is always I want them to like me so much. I want this to be my person, whatever. Like, And I think that especially the first few dates, like it should always be do I like them and like just changing the perspective to being more like rooted in yourself and like, are they mm. are they aligning with where my life is going? Are they, is like their energy matching with mine? And um, Mm. I feel like as we start getting further into relationships, especially if we like choose somebody based off more so, like if if it's not really aligning with your life and like your life's goals and your personality is not completely matching, but you're like, I really like them. I'm attracted to them. It can lead to a lot of what you said with like performing and stuff like that, especially if you're, Mm. if like, depending on like a lot of things that has to do with relationships is also how you grew up basically so like if we have like people pleasing in family environments you're going to start doing that in your relationships too so it's like you're more so going to be going off of like the expectations of what you want or what you think other people are going to be perceiving you as and you're going to try to fit that mold Mm -hmm. instead of just being yourself and finding that authentic connection compared to Mm -hmm. compared to just being yourself and finding what you're always meant to have and obviously it's not it's not like that simple um like it's relationships are super complex and we have different opposing things coming together just to try to create this like healthy dynamic where like you'll get in an argument or like a conflict and then like you'll just both be triggering each other and you gotta like step away and do all these things but i think as far as you know 
not performing. I think it's more kind of building the awareness in yourself. So you're not, you're, you're aware of like when you enter these triggered modes in, so you're not kind of like hurting other people in your, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes I think that performative um, personality, like you think that is you. I think that's kind of the tricky part sometimes, especially if you do have people pleasing tendencies, which I think a lot of us do. And it's, it's also like, I think connects to the fear of like losing this person. Mm. But as you said, it's like, we should be more concerned on whether or not they're a good fit for us. We're so worried about, am I a good fit for them that we don't even really question, are they even good? for us. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we end up hurting ourselves so much because we're so focused on making them happy that like our own happiness is like nowhere in the equation. And we wonder like why this relationship feels so difficult. Right. And so I love that you just kind of keep circling back to, yeah, getting to know yourself enough so that you can show up as you. And then ultimately when you do have that internal self-love, you can be okay if this other person doesn't like this version of you mm-hmm. because you like that version of you already. But I think for a lot of people, that's just really hard. Yeah, I know um, yeah. as far as, because we were saying about awareness too. Um, yeah. A lot of people, they're not completely aware that they're really choosing what's familiar, even though it's not healthy, compared to kind of going for what's better for them in the long run, like what's, what's healthier. Yes. Um, and yeah. I think that's where a lot of people can get stuck too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, drugs feel good, but they're not good for you, <laughs> right? And uh, it's interesting. I have clients who will say to me things like, I met this guy. He's really cute. I really want to be in a relationship with him. And I'm like, okay, tell me what his values are. Do they align with yours? And they're like, what? He just was cute and liked me back. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what you found was an emotional vending machine, right? Someone to basically externally validate you and make you feel cute. And so I find that what happens in relationships when we're, honestly, when we're still emotionally immature is... We're looking just for the permission to like ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's so yeah. strange to me that we outsource that to other people. I remember being in middle school and it's like, you're just like waiting with your with your arms crossed like to see if anyone's going to choose you at the dance because like that makes you likable. It's like if someone chooses me, then I am worthy of being chosen instead of just learning to choose yourself. And so I find that oftentimes relationship dissolutions are the beautiful like rock bed for us to find that self-worth. And so I'm a little bit curious if you would like to go into your last relationship dissolution and what that taught you and how actually I'm sure it was extremely beautiful for you to cultivate all of the self-love that wasn't there when you entered the relationship dynamic. Yeah. Um, I, I think this last relationship was the one that I think it, it taught me the most lessons and not necessarily like mm-hmm. a lot of growth came from it. And I think I'm finally at the point where I'm able to be more so like grateful for everything, like everything that mm. happened. Like, I think that's, that's like a cool spot to be where like you go through something and you know, you have a lot of feelings that come up and then like you go through the stages of grief and everything. And then you come out on the other side. And, yeah. um, I know when I first started my relationship, like me personally, like I feel like everybody comes out of, into like a different version of themselves and like everybody yes. brings out a different version of themselves. So like for me, um, whenever I'm in a relationship, like I become super, super adventurous and like, I'm always planning out like these super creative dates. And, um, mm. but I realized that it's basically turning me into like the little kid version of myself where like my mom would always take me on like little trips and my dad would always take me to trips to different places and stuff like that. And I feel like just like little lessons I've learned a lot. Um, and then like conflict, for example, like I used to be really bad at just like direct communication. And mm. um, I realized that like, if you're not communicating it directly, then you're probably the toxic one and you're leading to a lot of like... <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of miscommunication and it's just going to cause more problems, just going to cause resentment. So like little things like that, I feel like I've learned, Mm -hmm. um, also with boundaries. I think that it's, I was really good at setting boundaries and I I ended up finding like an old journal and I had a bunch of stuff where I was like saying all these boundaries that I had, like I was telling her these boundaries and it was just the matter of enforcing the boundaries. So like I spent a lot of time in the last couple Mm -hmm. of years, like I used to be a really bad people pleaser and I spent a lot of time in the last few years just practicing saying no. And 
just little things like you notice patterns that have to do like for me a lot of my patterns had to do with childhood and it was mm-hmm. the same things that was popping up in my childhood that kind of gave me these different forms of for lack of a better word like trauma responses and like i was yeah. constantly being triggered and stuff like that and kind of just like sitting with that and like understanding it and shifting it to be something that's more healthy in a way I love what you said earlier too, that how we tend to kind of recreate some of these um, more familiar scenarios, mm-hmm. right? So in my family, they fought all the time. They yelled all the time. So all of my relationships mm-hmm. were like that. Like that to me felt safer than silence, right? So then I tended to find people that could kind of step up to the bat and fight with me, mm-hmm. right? And that to me felt like a good relationship because it just felt safe and familiar. Yeah. But it's not actually safety. It's just familiar. And we don't really know that there's something outside of that. And I want to kind of, um, I guess, just let anyone know that even if you have the awareness that you maybe don't want to have as a volatile relationship, going from that kind of relationship to one where maybe you do speak consciously and calmly, like that can feel unsafe because of how unfamiliar it is. Right. And that's why I think the relationship with self is so important because you get to start cultivating that safety and a healthy, less volatile relationship with yourself first. And then it can start to feel safer with someone else. And also like about the people-pleasing topic, it's so interesting because something that's really helped me and something I teach my clients is like, if you want to be a people-pleaser, like we get to redirect that energy of people-pleasing to be like (laughs) me-pleasing. You know, instead of people-pleasing, like I'm a person too. So I also get to benefit from this energy of wanting to please everybody. But like I get to kind of redirect that because I think it's hard to just completely stop because our, again, like that's just what's our, what we're programmed to do. But I've started to just kind of, yeah, do a detour of that pattern to focus on pleasing myself. And that looks like even like canceling plans sometimes, right? I used to not want to do that because that person might be mad but then I lose because I'm not happy. I don't feel good. And so how can I redirect that people pleasing for them to first please me? And then like, I can be okay if they're upset because I've taken care of myself. But that I think sometimes people feel is more selfish, um, which I think is a whole other wound that a lot of people don't want to be selfish. Yeah. I know um, when it comes to these types of things too, I think it's important to emphasize that like you're not your past. So like if you if you're in your last relationship, you're really bad at setting boundaries or something like that. You're a big people pleaser and you're constantly beating yourself up like I should have said this, I should have done this and like I should have enforced this. I think that um you should just take it easy on yourself because, you know, you can always learn. You can always change and I think that the healthiest way, like we were talking about confidence, the best way to have confidence mm-hmm. in yourself in order to change is to create that safe space for yourself. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that has helped me kind of just like grow into who I am now is just, um, you know, it's one thing we learned in meditation too, is it's not necessarily about controlling your thoughts and all that. It's more being aware of your thoughts and kind of just seeing it without judgment. And Mm. I think that's something that you can take into relationships and like your past mistakes and all these things. It's like, you're not meant to always judge yourself you can just be sometimes and allow yourself to be this past version of yourself and embody a new version of yourself any day obviously it's not as easy as just like embodying Mm -hmm. somebody it takes a lot of time as we said but um Mm -hmm. just allowing yourself to kind of take that step forward without the judgment yeah Hey listeners, quickly interrupting this episode to say that if you're loving this conscious conversation, we're inviting you to join the dialogue with us inside of our free Spiraling Higher community. It's our favorite place on earth and it's where you can meet like-minded souls on their healing journey and discuss what you're spiraling through with your conscious besties. It's where we continue this conversation long after the episode ends because as we all know, healing is an upward spiral. So join the conversation, share with us your insights, questions, and breakthroughs. We're here for it all. You can join by creating a free account by clicking the link at the top of the show notes. Can't wait to see you in there. I wanted to say something also about the people-pleasing that I just thought of too, because what I'm realizing in my conversations with clients and just in my own interactions is that when we people-please, what's happening is we're actually honoring the other person's value system more than our own. Yeah. And so it's almost like there's an unclear 
set of values within ourselves because let's say, yes, Gina, someone's mad at you because you didn't go to the birthday party or whatever, or you didn't respond to their phone call on time. It's like, well, my value is actually spending quality time with my family and myself. And so you're, we're basically just having a values conflict. It's like, you think I should drop everything to go to some birthday party or whatever, but that's like not my highest value. And so I think the way we can also circumvent this idea that we're selfish or bad is knowing that like, no, like I'm taking an action that's actually in alignment with my values. It doesn't necessarily align with everyone else's, but that's really neither here nor there. Like everyone's allowed to have their own set of values. But I think it's only when we are unclear on what our values are or our boundaries are that we feel bad about not meeting someone else's. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I feel like I know what my values are for decision-making. And when Mm -hmm. I decide to say yes or no to something, I know that I'm honoring my value. So if someone else is upset by that, They're just not having their values met, which might be that you need to give up everything in order to go to these social events or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean my value anymore. So I actually am able to circumvent that selfish guilt because I'm like, we're just, we're just perceiving that situation differently and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that I wanted to kind of chat about, this is a perfect segue is, is about having competing needs. I think when we're, Mm. when we're in a relationship with someone, whether it be a friendship or a partner, there are competing needs. And I think this is something that I'm constantly trying to, I guess, figure out how to get our needs met. Because sometimes what I need goes against what my partner needs, right? Like in meeting my need, like he would be kind of infringing his on his own boundaries and his needs. And so what that really boils down to is that we have to obviously meet our own needs, but within the context of a relationship, there's still obviously things that we're getting from our partners. And so what are your thoughts on that, Bryce? Just when you're in a relationship with somebody and there are conflicting needs, how do we take care of ourselves and each other? Yeah. Um, I think for me, the best way I would approach these types of situations is just going in with an and mindset. Like everything can happen. Two things can happen at the same time. So like you can mm. feel like what well, I think you were saying it earlier, like you can feel like you need some space and this person can feel like they need connection. And it doesn't have right. to be specifically like it's either or like I'm not going to go to you because I'm feeling like I need some space. It can be like, hey, I need some space right now, but I will go to you later. You need Mm. that compromise of um, just adding the and. And that's something that I've tried doing a lot in my conversations too, is like, I try not to say but anymore. And if I do, I correct it. Because it's always like, I forget who said it, but it was like the moment you say but, it kind of takes away from the whole thing. So instead of saying, I'm happy, but... I need this. You're saying I'm happy and I need this. Um, So just like little things like that, like kind of trying to find the middle way between both of them. So um, there's another thing that I ended up telling my cousin and it was basically always trying to find the middle way. And obviously you can't find the middle way every single time, but like in conflict specifically, there's a thing I called the argument staircase. And it's basically like Mm. you're on the top of the stairs, someone's on the bottom of the stairs. And, or like, I'll say like, you're on the bottom of the stairs, someone's on the top of the stairs and you're both yelling at each other from the opposite side of the stairs. And because you're both yelling at each other from the opposite side of the stairs, you're like, you're like, I'm up here. You have to come up here or whatever. And you're down here. You have to come down here. Instead, you have to go up to them to like top and have them understand your perspective and then bring them to the middle. So you both can have a conversation. And I think that's something that when it comes to a lot of different like conflicts in differing levels of like competing needs, you have to kind of find that middle ground. And obviously it's not going to be the middle ground mm-hmm. all the time, but compromise is, is so important. Yeah. I think yeah. it comes down to like a willingness to understand mm. the other person, yeah. right? And, to, and the willingness to see that, like what I always say, I mean, to my husband, but also to our clients when they're having this kind of conflict is that both people are actually right because it's their yep. perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. So in an argument, you're both right because you're fighting for your stance. I'm fighting for mine. And and from my perspective, like I'm right in the way that I feel. So it's more about, it's less about who's right and like which one's more right and more about, I want to understand like you're right. Like Mm. I want to understand your perspective. And so I really like that staircase analogy because I think we do meet in the middle, but I would also like to go to the top with him to see like what are you seeing Mm -hmm. but i also then want him to come down and like see what i'm seeing but we're all so focused on like no you come here it's like no you come here and we're fighting for that other person to see and i think it's so 
hard to, I'm going to use the words like succumb to like doing what they want, because I think a lot of people feel like if I give in to what they want, then they're not going to come and see where I'm at on my staircase or what stair I'm on. So I think it really is a willingness from both parties to, to see, Mm -hmm. yeah, where the other person's coming from. Exactly. Yeah. I think we're, we're literally just both fighting to be the victim of the story. That's what I've realized all conflict is. It's literally like, no, I'm the one that's hurt. No, you're the one who hurt me. And so it's so hard to reach the middle of the staircase because what we're actually having to exercise willingness in is that I'm the villain in the story. Mm. And that is so hard for me when I'm identified with being the victim of a situation. Like, I didn't do that. Like, this was done to me, right? So it's interesting having seen conflicts now from this new perspective that we're literally just both fighting to be the victim of what happened. But Mm -hmm. if we can actually expand and come out and look at things with a bit of a more bird's eye view, we can actually see that neither of us are actually victims of the situation. And yeah, these two stories can also exist at the same time. I think the reason why conflicts are so difficult is we're trying to get someone's reality to reinforce and validate ours, but they have a different POV, literally. So we have to be able to, like Bryce said, hold both of those truths at the same time. It's the both and. And I find that that needs to happen with lots of different areas of our life that require healing. For example, with my parents, it was so hard for me to heal initially because I kept denying the reality that anything had ever happened because I would say they're good parents and they are. And they also projected some unresolved traumas onto me. Like both of those things can be true. Mm -hmm. They can have been there for me and supported my needs and made me feel safe physically, but I could have also felt notionally, I shouldn't say, um, but I should say, and I could have also felt emotionally neglected at the same time. Like those things can exist at the same time. And I think it's really English or like Germanic languages specifically that do this sort of like exclusive or within the language. There are other languages that don't do this as much and they're able to hold nuance and allow experiences to be existing at the same time. But we tend to do that. This like, no, it's this or that. And it's just interesting how often and pervasive that lens or paradigm is for us when we look at things, especially relationships. Yeah. We're like we said, like we're all super complex. So there's always these different parts of ourselves. And then it gets even more complex when we add other people into it. So (laughs) (laughs) totally. Well, that's why relationships are so freaking challenging. I think that there is a fantasy that we're going to be with somebody. And maybe there are people out there that there's just like literally zero conflict. I have yet to personally meet someone like that or a couple like that. But I think there is a fantasy that you're going to meet someone that you're just never going to be triggered by. But Mm -hmm. I feel like relationships are the best like life practicum to teach you where you have holes in your boat that you need to patch up or heal. Like they're the ones that are going to be able to trigger you in the deepest way. And in that sense, I feel like it they hold the most potent medicine. And I think almost like the deeper the trigger or the more they can trigger you, at least in my experience, it's almost like it just shows, like I said, the depth of where my wound goes. And I wouldn't be able to see it without them reflecting that back to me. I think the best way Mm -hmm. to describe a healthy relationship based off of what you just said is a healthy relationship isn't the fact that you're not getting triggered. It's the fact that you can bounce back and connect with each other again in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gina and I have talked about this so many times that all relationships, the one with ourselves, the one with friends, partners, business colleagues, is always going to be rupture and repair. And when a relationship is no longer repairable, it's because there have been all of these ruptures and no opportunities or intentions set to repair those things. So it's all of these little resentments building up. Mm -hmm. There's not, there hasn't been a repair conversation. And I think learning that has just helped me normalize that things are going to happen. I'm going to have to say, sorry, we're going to be fine. (laughs) And then it's going to happen again. And actually something that was hurting my relationship for the longest time was I had no people pleasing tendencies. I've actually never dealt with those in my entire life. (laughs) No, I feel, I feel completely fine with doing whatever I want to do. And I've learned it's very special because I didn't know people (laughs) struggle with this so much, but because of that, I have to learn how to say sorry a lot. Yeah. So I'm not learning how to say no, but I'm learning that my actions can be perceived in certain ways. And um, that's something I have to apologize for. And I was not willing to do that for so long because in order to accept someone else's reality, I felt like, well, now I'm the villain and I didn't, I didn't intend to be the villain. Like I didn't do that. And it's just been 
it's been a very humbling experience to be in a long-term relationship because you have to be willing to let your ego take bruises because you can't be right all the time. And mm-hmm. I think that is something that if you if you want to feel, if you want to feel justified and righteous all the time, do not be in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> do not. Because someone, the other person is going to reflect back in a, com- a completely different movie than the one that you're watching. And if there is going to be vulnerability and connection, you'd actually have to be willing to to sit in their movie too and see that, yeah, you, you're not exactly the victim in this person's story. You might have to be in the villain archetype. Hmm. Yeah. And I think this is also indicative in our relationship with ourselves, right? Like we have to also be willing to not only disappoint our partners, but like, all, like go through all of the emotions, I guess, um, and ups and downs of the relationship with ourselves. Because I think as I um, and many of our clients go on a journey of discovering that inner self-love, we even expect that to be like a certain performative measure of like, well, that if I love myself, it needs to look a certain way or I can't make any mistakes. Or once I learn this, I can't ever be hard on myself again. And it kind of starts to like repeat a new pattern, even our relationship with ourselves. So I would love Bryce for you to kind of explore and share a little bit about how you developed this sense of self-love, what that journey for you really looked like, because it can be really, what's the word? I think for me, it was really confusing and almost sad like how little I knew myself, you know, it was almost kind of like, wow, like I really don't even know what I like. I really don't even know how to defend myself. I really don't even know how to advocate for me. I don't know how to love myself. I don't know how to be kind to myself. I don't even know how to think a positive thought about myself. It can feel really um, debilitating and just really depressing and sad. So um, I would love for you to share kind of your journey and what that gradual progression really look like for you to normalize it for everybody. Yeah, I think a key word that you said, um, or what you just said is you said, you feel like you have to. And I think that mm. when it mm. comes to finding self-love, you have to, or like what I've done personally is I started getting rid of you have to. And mm. I started doing more of like, what, who am I really supposed, not supposed to be, but like, who am I really at my core and learning mm. more about that. And when we go back to me having social anxiety, it was full of just what I thought other people wanted me to do. And like, I was afraid of judgment. And I was like, I have to, even at the time, like when I said that I wanted to start being more confident in myself and like talking, I kept saying, I have to go out and I have to talk to people and I have to be this, I have to be confident. And it wasn't until I started like slowing down and sitting with myself and saying, Hey, it's okay where you're at right now, but it's okay where you are right now. And I think that it's okay for now where you are. And then how am I going to get to where I need to go. Mm. And I, I think the biggest thing that's honestly helped me is meditation, especially since COVID. I feel like everybody had a different experience, but for me, I'm a huge introvert and everyone was on quarantine and everything. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, I, don't have to, <laughs> totally. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can just chill in my room, no expectations. Yeah. I can meditate and I think it was finding stillness and um, mm. in in meditation, I learned it wasn't specifically about gaining more understanding. I don't mm. want to say, I don't want to say that because I feel like I got a lot of understanding. It was more allowing myself to see myself as I really am. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's the gift of meditation, right? Because we're able to see things more clearly. It's so funny. I was working and Gina was working with this person too. We were working with someone for eight weeks. And anytime I had a problem, it was so frustrating because he wouldn't let me talk about it. He was like, and now we're going to drop into a meditation. And I'm like, fuck, meditation is not going to solve my problem. (laughs) But it does because your problems aren't created by your mind. And so the image that I got the other day was if your computer is all backed up because you keep double clicking applications and they say application not responding, double-clicking another application is not going to help those previous applications respond faster. It's just going to make your computer actually go slower. But you can completely solve all of those problems by literally turning off your computer and restarting it. It's Mm -hmm. like you don't even... Now the problem that was being created by clicking on all the other applications is gone. And so what I realized is that so many of the solutions I seek to my problems are really just... They're just trying to satisfy the mind that created them. And so if I can actually... Yeah, if I can actually just silence the mind that created the problem, 
I don't actually need the solution anymore. There's actually so much more clarity on how to act and how to move forward. It's like, it's the amount of clarity I have when someone brings me a problem that's not mine, right? It's like, they brought me a problem. Oh my God, they have to work about this or worry about this, do this. I don't know. There's no mental distress about that problem. It seems so clear what the logical next steps are. Yeah, but I think it's because your mind's not asking the question of what to do in that scenario, like their mind is, right? And that's why when we meditate and the mind settles enough to stop asking the question, then the solution is very clear, like it was in us the whole time. And I think meditation, what that really offers is, you know, think about the context of a relationship. If I really was feeling kind of disconnected from my partner or from Sam or somebody that I really love, it's like, what is the way that we would reestablish that connection? We would want like quality time with that person, Mm -hmm. right? We would want no distractions. Let's put our phones away. Let's just have like dinner, you and I, where we just get to sit down and connect. That's what meditation is. Meditation is like a date with yourself without any distractions. So you can actually reestablish that connection. And so that's what meditation has brought for me. It gave me space, as you said, Bryce, to see myself without all of the fluff right? It's almost like going on a date with somebody where like you don't even have to get ready and you just get to show up as you are in like your pajamas, like not your hair done. And you just get to see me and I show up as I am. So that's an analogy I have. Yeah, for I think this is a crazy analogy, but I just thought of it. Um, mm. I don't know if you've ever seen the episode of SpongeBob with the magic conch. <laughs> I don't, I don't no, watch SpongeBob. It, I, I haven't seen it I'm forever, so but basically the whole concept <laughs> of the, sh- the episode was they were stuck in like, I don't even know what it was. It was like a bunch of tall grass or something like that. And they were trying to get out and they yeah. physically couldn't leave. Like they kept going and they kept coming back to the conch and stuff like that. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. they actually just like sat still that they got out of the place they were stuck in. And I don't know why that just came to my mind, but that was like the easiest way to describe it of sometimes the problem is that you're looking for a solution instead of just like sitting in it for a second and allowing yourself to mm. be in that moment and then letting yourself kind of just like sit in the chaos for a second and then decide where to go from there. And yeah. it's crazy mm-hmm. because I actually just saw an account today. I don't even know what it's called and I followed it, but it's um these people, they go on like retreats in like Seattle or something like that. And they put on these like goggle things and it's, they can't see any light for days. And like people are doing it for like nine days and they come out. Oh, the darkness yeah, retreat. People come out of it. And it's just yeah. like sitting with yourself in like, if it's silence or even just like darkness, it's scary at first, but like, it's honestly just such a good way to connect with yourself. Like you were saying with just like quality time with yourself. Mm. well again it's free of distraction mm-hmm. it's like those meals like the dark restaurant like where there's no light and mm-hmm. have you heard dark of table that? the dark table yeah i would never <laughs> want to do that but it's basically a restaurant that's pitch black. so you don't even really know what's coming in front of you you're supposed to like feel around to try to like you know and then you taste the food and the sensory is so much more intense mm. because the other ones are cut off so i could totally see how a darkness retreat would even more like amplify this experience of getting to know who you really are but for me personally, that sounds terrifying to be in the dark for so long, but I could see how powerful it'd be. All the videos there, like they take off the goggle things and they're crying just because it's like such a transformative experience. I bet. Mm. You know what it is? It's actually, so they, they do them in Portland and I'm, I'm like actually very intrigued by this as well. But if I've learned anything about meditation, it's that you're meditating on the ultimate truth, which is nothingness. Like there is nothingness. There is no meaning. There is nothing. You're just Mm -hmm. experiencing a projection. And so when you go back to nothingness and then you open your eyes, everything is amazing. It's like there's such a deep appreciation for like what is there because you experience the opposite, which is nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm amazed by both of you and these metaphors for meditation. Gina, you never pulled that one out before that meditation is quality time with yourself. I don't know why. It's just a little (laughs) little date with yourself. Um, It blew my mind. But um, (laughs) I think that it's such a frustrating but resilient piece of advice to everyone to find stillness and to meditate. And it's where you are able to commune with the parts of yourself that are actually constantly seeking for those solutions. Because what I've realized within myself and so many others is that solution seeking is actually what continues to perpetuate the problem, which is what was reflected in the magic conch episode, right? It's like Mm -hmm. you continuing to seek outside for the solution is what keeps the problem 
in place, it doesn't allow the problem to dissolve or shift or change or for you to act. And so, yeah, that was a beautiful reminder. I didn't expect that to come up. So the attachment of what you expect things to be, it kind of holds you back. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm. And expectation. Exactly. Yeah. It's expectation. It, it literally is always expectation. So I yeah. actually have, I haven't told you this yet, Gina, but I have a new teacher and I'm really excited. We have Ooh. one of our upcoming calls today. I'll tell you later. He's, he's amazing. Oh my God. He's younger than me too. And he's so, he's so woke. But, um, <laughs> we were talking about just Taoism, Taoism basics and principles. And it was something I already know. And it's something that we're chatting about here in this conversation, but literally the more you appreciate the less you expect, the more you expect, the less you appreciate. And I feel that in North America, we're such an expectant culture. I had a conversation with a friend the other day, which was about how, why is it that the country that is one of the wealthiest in the entire world is the most sad, is the most depressed, is the most lonely? It seems so counter current to be the wealthiest, but the unhappiest nation in the world. And it's this desire, it's this constant wanting, it's this lack energy and mentality that keeps creating that. And I can't help but see that so many people are doing that in relationships. It's like, it's the lack, it's the expecting, it's the wanting of the validation, the love or whatever, which is already inside, right? Mm -hmm. You keep going outside of yourself and no wonder you feel so unfulfilled or only fulfilled temporarily or short term because it's never been possible for someone to give you that. You actually have to go inward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're shopping at the wrong store. <laughs> Literally. You're shopping for something that isn't even for sale. Yeah. It's not in stock and it never will be. <laughs> we haven't carried that ever. We're like, is it here yet? <laughs> oh my God. That's so true. And I, ha- I had another conversation I had recently too, where this girl was like, I literally just realized that money can't actually solve your problems. Like, I have been so convinced that it could for so long. Like we can use money to substitute so many things. But she was like, what I'm actually only looking for is peace. And it's only ever been an illusion that money has provided me the peace. Mm -hmm. Like it never actually directly came from the money. And Mm -hmm. that's such a hard conversation for people to hear if they haven't tapped into that yet. But nothing from the outer world, including a relationship, right? Especially a relationship doesn't give you what you actually end up having to give to yourself. Oh my gosh, 100%. I mean, in the context of even manifestation and law of attraction, it's like you have to be in the vibration of what you want to receive. So one of my favorite things that I learned was, I think this was a Joe Dispenza thing, that he had you write down everything you want in a partner. And then he said, become that. Mm. (laughs) Which is so cheeky, but it's so true, right? Like, what are you trying to get in this relationship? Is it that you want to feel loved? Is it that you want to feel important and validated? It's like, How are you doing that or not doing that for yourself? And so I feel like every time I find myself kind of wishing, you know, my partner or my friend did XYZ, I always have to reverse the question on myself and ask, how am I doing that for me or not doing that for me? And it's just an opportunity once again for me to be my own hero, my come be my own savior at the end of the day. And all of a sudden I don't need this person to change anything at all. And that even goes to the extent of my parents. I think, you know, so many of our relationship wounds stem from obviously childhood and um, our parents. And so when we can recognize what is it that we're seeking from our parents in the first place and how do we then offer that to ourselves in a way that we could not do from the level of consciousness we were at when we were children. So it's also like, I I see this as such a beautiful opportunity to become in a relationship with somebody that will never know me better than me. Like it's it's such a special relationship mm-hmm. that no one will ever be able to replace. And so I think it's such a beautiful journey to get to know who I am. It's been one of the most expansive experiences for myself, the most painful for sure, but the most expansive to learn how to like love myself. Mm, So beautiful. Yeah. Do you feel like at this point in your life, are you in a season of unconditional self-love? Like what does that look like for you in your life right now? I feel like it, it, it bounces from like, I have moments where I'm like super, I don't want to say like, I don't ever like super just like beat myself up, but I feel like there's points where like I might not be feeling as confident and like I'll go through like different ebbs and flows basically. And yeah, yeah. I think that's also something that's important to to say is like nobody ever feels something 100% of the time. And especially with yes. social media, people think that like, oh, this person, they make content and they're like, 
the most amazing person. They're always happy. They're always like whatever. And I think mm-hmm. that it's important to emphasize that like everybody always feels different things at different times. And like you can feel sad one day and feel happy the next day and feel like it's the best day whatever and like the next day it'll feel like is one of the hardest days and i think that's just life and yeah the way that i put it in my perspective is i'm here to live and i think that the meaning of life is just to live and a lot of people they say that the meaning of life is to you know start a family it's to find their dream job travel and i think it's literally everything so i try to mm. i try to just see everything from that perspective of I'm just here to experience life and whatever I go through is what I go through. And I'm going to hear, be here and support myself, grow and like change and fall in love with a new version of myself and just embrace everything that comes mm-hmm. up. The big thing is just allowing myself to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it really like, I, I always call life like colors. And I, I feel like everything in life is an experience. And I want to experience the entire spectrum of the Mm -hmm. rainbow versus only red and only green or only blue. And I think that we get to see ourselves in all of these different shades and hues of colors through these different experiences, right? It's almost like every experience is like a new painting with like the same set of colors, but you get to kind of see yourself in a different masterpiece in every moment and appreciate the beauty because it's still, like you said, like it's still your life. And so I I love that. And I love that you named that it is an ebb and flow experience because um, I definitely think in the, this realm of spirituality, I think a lot of people are on a on a journey or um, on a mission to get to a point where they're just kind of always in a season of love and feeling good all the time. But it is cyclical, hence why our podcast name is Spiraling Higher, because it is a cyclical mm-hmm. journey. And I think one of the best feelings is coming out of love with yourself and then returning. I love oh, that feeling. Return to yeah. love. Return to love, I think. And you can only know the depths of how good that love feels because you knew the depths of how bad it felt before. And so having that contrast helps to light up the colors even brighter, just like the darkness retreat. You only can experience like that, whoa, the beauty of like being able to see again because you experience how it felt to not be able to see. And so in a lot of ways, I'm thankful so much for my journey of how much I hated myself because that's the degree to which I can love myself. I know an analogy, not an analogy, but like a speech that I talk about all the time is with Lauren Hill. And she talks about life. A lot of people think that the ups and downs are like good and bad, but it's really learning and then mastership at the top. And a lot of people, they don't want to be students again. So like they stay at the top of these mountains and then um, they feel stuck. And then it's not until they actually go down from the mountain because like in order to get to the next mountain you have to go down the mountain to go back up and a lot of people get stuck at that point where like the top of the mountain and it's just a cycle you're constantly growing and evolving and going down from one mountain to go down i mean to go up another so with what you were saying with cycles and like i love the concept of like spiraling higher too And if you look at that from like a top perspective, it's just like a giant circle and you're just going back to the beginning or you could even do it like it's a, it's a circle and then you finish that circle and you go over here and do another one, then you do another one over Mm. here. So it's like, you're always going through a cycle and it's always, not always a new cycle. You can go and repeat the same cycle and then you can break out of the cycle and go into a new one. So it's, Mm. it's, you know, Mm. life is, it's pretty cool sometimes. (laughs) I love the mountain analogy a lot because a lot of people do want to stay at the top of the mountain. They, they don't want to come down. They're like, I'm staying here. And it's like, that's Sam. I didn't want to call you out. But that's, yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's me. And, and actually, Bryce talked to me about this video when we were taking a little forest walk back in Boston this summer. But it's only when I resist being a student that I suffer so much. So yeah. what actually helped me through my last spiral was literally just saying to myself, I guess I'm learning today because (laughs) it was the belief that I like had known everything and I didn't need to suffer. Like, why was I creating this? But it's like, I clearly don't, I'm not seeing something. Otherwise I wouldn't be experiencing this. So it's time for me to learn. And it was the only thing that made me reduce the resistance I felt against the pain or perceived suffering. I just thought, guess I'm learning. And then what happened was it actually opened me up to all the things that 
I could be learning. I don't know. It, it made me feel excited about like, oh, what mm-hmm. am I going to learn? Like what new perspective shift am I going to get? Like what messages am I going to receive? Um, yeah, it's accepting being a student of life for sure. Embracing those transition periods is is literally key. I know right now, like I'm using my content as an example. I am personally the type of person where like I am horrible when it comes to routines. I'm I'm what you call like a, I think they call it like a disorganized passion. I don't know what they mm. call it specifically. I was just going to make something up, but uh, <laughs> basically I'm not good with specific like routines because I'll get bored of them super quickly and then I'll lose passion for it. So like what I need to do is I need to kind of like follow my passions everywhere they go in order to feel fulfilled. So like if I had a point where like I was into photography and I was doing it consistently, like a shoot almost every single day and I was doing that for months and then I started slowing down a little bit and then I started getting into painting and paintings similar to uh, photography retouching. So like I was really good at painting and then I had, um, I wanted to learn how to sew clothes and make my own clothes. So like I bought a sewing machine and then right now I'm learning Arabic just because like my uh, sister-in-law, she's Egyptian and like my nephew, he's learning right now. So like little things, like I'm always finding different ways to kind of just like transition and find new ways of kind of grow. And I think Mm -hmm. for me right now, especially with my content is like, I've been making similar content where I'm just like sitting in a chair and like talking where like, I'm always, I feel like I'm at a transition point right now where I'm planning out different types of content where it's like not specifically just sitting in one spot, but like, so I can grow as an artist. And I think a lot of people like what I was, what we were saying before with like the top of the mountain, like a lot of people get stuck at the top of the mountain and um, it's not necessarily like, I don't want to say it's a necessarily a bad thing, but it's something that everybody goes through where they keep repeating the same cycle or like they're stuck at the top of the mountain. And sometimes you have to go through the cycle a couple of times in order to go back down. And like, I feel like right now I'm at the point where like, I'm about to go back down and like learn new techniques and like start new video. I feel like a lot of people, they just have to embrace the transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, we're I, always in transition. That- we literally are because we're always, yeah, we're always moving. Um, and I think when you think about that mountain analogy too, it's like, I think so many people, what they do metaphorically is they cry the whole way down the mountain and then they cry the whole way up and they get to the top and they're like, oh, this is great. But it's like that creates so much resistance and so much more suffering than it needs to be. Like you could be enjoying the view on the way back down. And then you could also be appreciating that now you're back on the ground Mm -hmm. and now you're like, okay, now I'm going to go back up again. Let's look at it from this perspective. And so I think that analogy is so um, beautifully um, shared and I love Lauren Hill. So I love that even more, but I think it just goes to show us like we can enjoy that journey as well, because we're always going to be at the top again at some point. And um, there's so many beautiful things that happens on the way up and down too, like on an actual mountain, there's so many things that are beautifully growing on the bottom of the mountain just as much mm-hmm. as the top. And so each perspective has its own beauty. And I love what you were just sharing too, because it sounds to me like I always use this analogy of riding the waves of inspiration. I think one of the biggest forms of abundance is following our highest excitement. And to be able to respond to that inspiration as it comes and go with it, I think is such a beautiful gift that we can give to ourselves. Um, So I love that you do that. And something it's definitely that I'm trying to embody as well, to just ride the wave that's coming. And then enjoying that one until the next one comes. But Sam, would you like to ask our finale question unless you have something else? Yeah, no, Bryce, it was so amazing to reconnect because you're such a beautiful, like kindred, tapped in soul. And I think I commented Mm -hmm. on one of your posts recently that people don't even know how tuned in you are. Like seriously, guys, Bryce is... That meditation really worked on him. He's he's tuned into something higher and it's such a beautiful journey to witness. I'm so excited to see yes. all the things that you end up creating by going yeah. up and down these mountains on your path. But um, obviously, as you know, our podcast is called Spiraling Higher. And so here we're always trying to address certain cycles and patterns that we have to revisit. And something that we love to normalize for our listeners is that we go through these things oftentimes as many times as we need to until we heal them. And so we're curious to know what is the common theme, trigger, or wound that you find yourself constantly spiraling through? Yeah. Uh, I think my biggest theme is just, I'm still afraid of being seen, to be honest. Like I'm so used to having, um, like I make content for people and all that. And like, I've been, my content, like I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've been able to grow an audience and everything, but still I get, like a little bit of anxiety, like whenever I'm getting ready to do something and like, that's normal. 
but some ways like I'm still afraid of being seen on an aspect of like being vulnerable for so many people. And mm. I'm cool with like one-on-one, but like on a larger scale because of my past with like social anxiety, I, I still have a little bit of that like old self in there where he's, he's kind of like hesitant to have so many people just see me for who I am, even though like new version of myself knows like it's safe, man. You can go out and do your thing. And yeah, so it's, it's just yeah. something that I'm working through right now. And I'm just riding the waves, mm-hmm. just riding the waves, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is so going to be so empowering for so many people because they might look at you and think that's the vulnerability guy that has almost 300,000 followers. Like you're like, no, there's still a part of me that's that's here, that's afraid of this. And it's something that I continue to work on and expand. And I think that will encourage people because they're oftentimes waiting to not feel a certain way anymore. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think that day ever comes. We we take it with us. Yeah. And we love it and we keep spiraling through it. Yeah, I think say yes. yes now and then figure it out later. That's that's something that I've been trying to deal with later lately. Yes. Yes. I think there was a quote that somebody told me that was like, if it's a full body, yes, you'll figure out the rest. Something like that. Mm. Reminds me of that. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. I'm going to start using that too. Thank you so much, Bryce, for bringing your energy and uh, spending some time with us. I think this will be really empowering and inspiring and moving for the listeners. Yes, so thank yes. you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye. We can't wait to talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and a review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. And we lovingly invite you to join our free Spiraling Higher community by clicking the link in the show notes to continue this healing dialogue and share with us how this episode impacted you. Come on in, introduce yourself, and meet your conscious besties in a safe space for healing conversations between us and other like-minded people on their healing journey. Here's to Spiraling Higher. Thank you.